absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin In Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan. i got a pretty special guest here with me tonight. I've got my good friend and LPGA Tour Pro, Jane Park. Jane, what's the good word? Hello, Dan. How are you? Fantastic, you know, as always. Yes, absolutely. I'm really sad I haven't seen you and your family in a few years, but... We'll have to change that next year, hopefully. For sure. It's been a little bit, but uh, but it's not like we haven't kept in touch, and you know we know what's going on, so it's all good. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We always keep in touch. We're always good at that. Um, so listen, real quick, let's, uh, let's get to like the nitty-gritty stuff in the beginning. For those that don't know Jane Park, let's talk a little bit about your background in golf, and then we'll get to the good stuff on the LPGA Tour. Uh, so listen, so you were... You were born in Chicago. You consider yourself a Chicagoan? No, absolutely not. I'm a big baby when it comes to the cold weather. So uh, my parents actually moved out to Los Angeles when I was only about one or two. And they got pretty sick of the cold as well. So um, we moved out to L.A. and I grew up there. And obviously, L.A.'s got great weather to cultivate a golf game. So... I guess that's kind of how I—that's how I got started when I was 12 years old. Yeah, you talk about that as I'm looking outside, and it's like 45 degrees and pouring here in the Northeast. Yeah, it sucks to be you, man. <laughs> so now you—it uh, <laughs> does. I hate this weather. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you hate cold weather. <laughs> I know. I'm like a little. Ch- I'm like a hairless chihuahua. <laughs> Oh man! Well, I'm in I'm in Atlanta right now, and it's beautiful. And um, you know, hopefully, you can move down south soonish. Soon enough. Soon enough. The first <laughs> and enjoy know, this great weather. Yeah, the first step is already complete, but soon enough. Um, so, nice. listen you you lived in Rancho Cucamongo, right? I did. Is Cucamonga. That? Cucamonga. Come on, get it right. My bad. Cucamonga. My bad, Kelly girl. Um, I know. Get that right. Get that right. Is, isn't that where Phil lives or somewhere around there? No, he, I think. Oh, Phil is he Rancho Santa Fe? In, yeah, yeah, exactly. How yeah. many how many ranchos um, are there? He probably like owns his own island or something with like a helipad or whatever. But um, yeah, Rancho Cucamonga is kind of inland. It's about I would say almost an hour directly east of LA. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely turned into a pretty big city. Um, obviously not as big as, big as LA, LA, but, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't back, I haven't been back in a few years, but, um, I'm going back there in about a week and a half to go see my family. So, uh, pretty excited about that. Very cool. Um, is the traffic as bad there as it is like in LA itself, or no? We're here in Atlanta. No, no, I know it's bad there in Atlanta. I mean, uh, Rancho Cucamonga. Oh, yeah. oh no, no, no! Rancho Cucamonga is really. I mean, it's it's not. It's definitely not as big as LA. Um, I would say. 
I would say, I mean, traffic is bad maybe for two hours a day during rush hour, but obviously LA, you've got traffic all around the clock, which is one of the reasons why I moved out of there. So, um, yeah, you can only take so much of that before you get tired of living your life in a car. So, yeah. Is, is there a, there's no such thing as Rancho Cucamonga? No. At all? No. Nowhere? It's, it's Cucamonga. Cucamonga. <laughs> Stop dissing my hometown, yo. I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm perplexed because I swear there's some place, some, somebody will, will send me a post on Instagram, but I swear there's a place called Rancho Cucamonga, but maybe, maybe I've just been calling it that my whole life. I'm just perplexed you get the whole name right except for the last letter. Why are there so many ranchos? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was maybe California was the big ranch before it became a metropolis. I don't know. Oh, I like that. I'm going with that. <laughs> oh man. All right. So so a sixteen year old Jane who only started playing golf around eleven or twelve years old makes it to the mm-hmm. finals of the U.S. Women's Am, right? The biggest mm-hmm. women's mm-hmm. amateur tournament in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And so that one, what's that, 2003, right, to uh, mm-hmm. Near Path Pong Porn? Yes. Hey, you get Near Path Pong Porn, but you can't get Cucamonga? <laughs> Come yeah. on. I got a thing for golf names, I guess. Um, which, oh, which, by geez. the way, she's, she's a sister, she's right? Aren't there two nerd. of them? What's that? There's two near a path pong porns, right? No, 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 no. There's only one. Oh. Did she play a Duke? She did. She yeah. played a Duke. Okay, I don't know why um, I know that, but that's a great last name. It is. It is. She has, uh, her nickname was Uwe. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. Her first name, Verada. Right. Last name, near a path pong porn, but... Obviously, that's a handful. Her first name's a handful as well. So um, a lot of these Thai girls have nicknames, and her nickname was Uli. And did, do you so have any understanding as to how that came about? You know, I, I don't know how that comes about, but, I mean, we could talk later about the great Thai nicknames we have on the LPGA, and there's some great ones. Oh, I'm, great I'm ones. sure. I mean... I'm just surprised someone's name ending with porn is Uwe instead of <laughs> something, <laughs> you know, that could have been a, a much more clever than that. Well, I mean, there's some clever ones on our tour, um, very unique, clever, clever ones. So Uwe um, is very, I mean, she's just the most graceful, beautiful, um, kind girl I've ever met. I mean, she's just so great. I mean, we keep in touch sometimes via social media, but whenever I go play in Thailand, she's always there at the tournament, um, working, working for the tournament and for Thai golf. So, um, yeah, she and I keep in touch and obviously we share a great memory together playing in that final together in 2003 at Philadelphia country club. Um, wow, that was a long time ago, but, um, yeah, so, so that was a that was a pretty early memory for me, and obviously a great memory. So, yeah, yeah so I mean, you're really great to look back on that. I mean, I guess, and then okay, so and then we've got to obviously mention the year after you become the U.S. Women's Amateur Champion. I mean, so forever engraved on that trophy is the name 
Jane Park. Take take me through <laughs> like those two years, a 16, 17-year-old Jane Park in, in the finals, two years in a row of the biggest women's amateur tournament in the world. I mean, it would seem at that point in time you were listening to Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and then in the finals of the greatest women's tournament in the world. How does how does... How does that happen? How does a 16 or 17-year-old keep their composure and their focus during a time like that? Wow. First of all, were you kind of following me back then? Because I think Backstreet Boys was my favorite. I loved yeah, no, I, 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 I know you pretty well. You know, I'm just... Uh... I mean, <laughs> I still listen to them. I'm not going to lie. My husband hates it, but hey, he married me. So he's, this is the life he chose. So. Yeah, you take the good, you um, take the bad, right? Exactly, exactly. It's more bad for him than good. So, but but you know, I mean, love is blind. So, um, well, as a sixteen-year-old, so um, let's see. Let me let me retract here. Let me let me go back to when I was sixteen. So, it was. I want to say it was my first USAM that I played in when I was sixteen, and. Um, I had, I'd been having a pretty good summer in terms of, uh, junior amateur golf, uh, playing on the AJGA circuit. And, um, I, I think I might've won one of the, you know, quote unquote major tournaments, um, on the AJGA earlier that summer. So I was playing really well and, um, going into the U S amateur, um, I wouldn't say I was a favorite per se, but I was definitely, I knew that I was one of the top junior golfers, um, going into that week. So, you know, for, for my family, I think, I I think it kind of surprised them that I actually reached the finals. And obviously for me, it was, you know, I, I, I've never been in that position. Um, and it was a new stage for me. So, um, it's funny, I can actually think back and remember the exact putt that I hit that lost me the U.S. Amateur. And it was actually, it was on the, it was on the second match of the finals. We were, I think we were all square going into probably the 14th hole of the second match. And, you know, me being super young and not very course management savvy, or golf, um, or golf smart, um, I decided to try to ram a 35 footer that was down the hill instead of thinking, okay, well, we've got a few more holes left. I could probably just kind of coast on through and kind of make my move at the end of the, at the end of the round when we near the final hole of the match. But I just remember thinking in my brain before I hit the putt, I have to make this putt, which was very obviously super aggressive and uncalled for. And I ran that putt by 10 feet, three putted. And then I, you know, went to hole 15 and I was one down and I never really recovered from that. So, um, I do remember quite clearly, uh, Verata was, uh, one of the top collegiate players, if not the top collegiate player. And, um, she hugged me on the last hole or whatever hole we finished the match on. And she said, she whispered in my ear, Hey, next year is your turn. So, um, I'm glad she was, I'm glad she was right because I was able to, you know, come out on top the next year after kind of a, you know, a heartbreaking defeat the year before. 
So that's a that's a pretty special moment right there between yeah. two competitors. So do you think do you think that putt there, even though, like you said now, I mean, looking back, if if you were, you know, present day Jane, looking back at sixteen year old Jane, you would probably play it differently. But do you think that possibly that putt may have propelled you on to the year after? I mean, you you kind of come in with a been there, done that mindset and and have a little bit more course management, course knowledge, if you will? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think going into the next year, I was, I, I practiced super hard that off season and, uh, played well again in the junior circuit during the summer. Um, I was looking at, you know, going to college, getting a scholarship and, um, you know, won the U S amateur that summer, got a scholarship to UCLA, uh, kind of walked away. So I knew I had that to look forward to, but, you know, I mean, every, there's, there's something, there's something to be learned every time, um, in defeat. And if you learn something, it's really, it's, it's really, you can't really have a negative experience if you learn something from everything you've done, either on the golf course or in life. Um, and you know, that's something that I try to live by, uh, every day, but, obviously it's easier to do some days than others. Um, other, some defeats are worse than others. Um, but you know, as a golfer, um, you know, a golfer doesn't win every time he or she plays and, you know, coming in second or worse is just kind of the way of life for, for golfers, for all golfers. Um, you know, no one's going to come in first place all the time. So, um, you know, that's something that I've just learned, um, throughout my junior career and my professional career. And, you know, those are all lessons that you can really only learn once you've actually been there. So I've been very fortunate, um, to have had those experiences and, you know, I pull on those experiences every year when I'm out on tour, uh, whenever I need it. And speaking of the end of your amateur career, you played on two winning Curtis Cup teams. And so for the people out there that aren't you know, as knowledgeable, the Curtis Cup is basically the equivalent to the Walker Cup on the men's side. Uh, or if you will, the amateur Solheim Cup for ladies. Correct. So 2004 Correct. was Formby Golf Club. And then 2006 was, was Bandon, as, as Bandon was a pretty new and upcoming course at that time, what do you remember about those? Well, those were some fun times. Um, I had played in two junior Solheim cups prior to that. So I had had, you know, a little bit of experience playing in a team atmosphere, but, um, you know, obviously playing for a country is a huge honor, but also you just strengthen those friendships that you've, already established while playing against these girls week in and week out. And it's just nice to, you know, be on the same team and work together and strategize with each other and lift each other up when, when someone needs a little, a little boost. So yeah, those were two very, very special experiences. And um, yeah, I mean, hopefully one day, before I'm done playing, I can make it to one of these Solheim Cup teams. Um, I've been close, but um, not close enough. So 
hopefully maybe in the next two years I'll be able to play my way onto that team um and we'll see what we get yeah I mean obviously that would be pretty sick of course um you've got a you've got a uh a pretty good background in in the team game like you said you went on to play at UCLA um big time powerhouse in in women's golf and Mm -hmm. so like with going to college did you want to go further away from home was it more a matter of convenience going to UCLA how did that all kind of transpire well I remember distinctly when I was 13 um and I had been playing golf pretty seriously for about a year um, I wanted to get a scholarship to UCLA. So that had always been, um, a goal of mine. And, you know, that was something that I just really worked towards as a junior. And, you know, once I reached the age of 15, 16, I figured, Hey, I could probably take this even a little further and try to make a career out of it. And, um, you know, obviously UCLA, going to UCLA for only a year, but that was definitely a super year for growth for me as a person. Um, learning time management, learning to do your own laundry, <laughs> which was a really huge thing for me. I'm, you know, even to this day, I still suck at laundry. <laughs> I'm, I'm awful at it, but you know, I, as as a freshman in college who had never done her laundry and that just kind of gives you an insight to some of these uh some of these young kids who just do golf they miss out on certain you know experiences that you need to have as a normal person and you know me a freshman at UCLA at one of those those little coin laundry uh rooms I have definitely overstuffed the drum before and caused the entire room to leak. Um, there was soap everywhere. I mean, it was so embarrassing, and I just left my clothes there for about two days because I was too embarrassed to go back it up. So. <laughs> you were that girl. I was that girl, yeah. I screwed it up for everyone, so I'm, I'm confessing now many years later. <laughs> Well, I think the statute of limitations has expired. Um, you should be okay. I'm good. I'm good. I, I remember in college there were always those signs that would be up, like, warning, do not stuff the dryer, you know, too much. You oh, could yeah. burn the building down. And, like, I remember being an RA and you'd get calls um, like, oh, hey, Dan, the dryer's smoking down there. Oh, oh yep. okay. Yep. Like, I, I'm not a fireman. You know, I mean, you could you could yeah. easily just open it and stop it. We'd be good here. Yeah, yeah. You were the RA, man. You would have hated me because <laughs> I broke stuff. I mean, I don't know how to use any of this stuff. I The first time I did laundry, I used a fabric softener instead of soap because <laughs> I thought it was, I don't know, I thought it was soap because it smelled so damn good. So, yeah. Now, now just mind yeah, you, the the steps to laundry are pretty easy. It's it's a. They're not. They no, are not. No 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 no. It's it's. I can do it in three steps for you. I'm going to help you. A. Put the laundry in. Uh, B. Put the laundry detergent in. Uh, C. Press button. You know, as easy as that sounds, <laughs> I have neglected to do one of those steps at least once in my life. 
And my husband will attest to this because I have put laundry in without soap. I have put laundry in with soap and not started the washer. I have left chapstick in the wash. I've left teas, change. I mean, you name it. I have left yardage books, (laughs) which is a big (laughs) no-no as a golfer. Yeah, but those are those are common golfer problems because we get tees yeah, and ball markers in our dryer all the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much I am not very good at laundry. It's definitely not one of my strong suits. Um, but yeah, I've 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 uh, left out the soap. I've used I've used fabric softener soap. I have. Oh God! I, it's just giving me a headache thinking about it. Let's just move on to another. Thing. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, so, so you you turn pro and have um, you know pretty good first full season on tour, finishing yep. uh, inside the top thirty on the money list in, in two thousand and eight. At at that point mm-hmm. in time, right? Because obviously, as a successful junior player, I mean, as a U.S. Women's Am champ, as as going to UCLA, UCLA and playing, you, you know in your head, like, okay, I can be a big-time pro. When you come mm-hmm. out your first year, your rookie year, and, and make, you know, basically three-quarters of a million, which, you know, we'll get into LPGA pay, which it, it, it's completely undervalued what, what you women bring to the game and the course. But when you make that much money, what's going through your head the first year? Are you, are you saying to yourself, uh, you know, the wins are going to start coming. I can be number one in the world. Like I can easily finish inside the top 10 or is it just a whirlwind? Well, that first year was a pretty big whirlwind whirlwind for me. Um, but, but even before that, my first, technically my first year on tour, I only had conditional status in 2007 and um, I only played about 10 events and kind of struggled that year um, at my first year as a pro. But then that fall, I went to Q school, won Q school, got my full card and had a pretty good breakout year uh, in 2008. And, you know, that was, I think that was kind of expected from my family for me to play well. um, Because, you know, logically thinking, if you're, if you're playing well as a junior and as in the amateur circuit, then, you know, there's a good chance you're going to be successful as a pro, but you know, that's not always the case. Um, but you know, I was very fortunate to get off to a pretty hot start and kind of reinsure myself that re reinsure myself that I can compete out there and I can, um, I can be a force out here, uh, during that first year. Um, but you know, that having a good year, um, definitely was a blessing, but the few years that I struggled also, I mean, I've been on tour for 12 years and I've had more, uh, mediocre years to my standard, um, than I would have wanted, but coming out on the other side of them is so much more gratifying than having, you know, let's say a year if I make oh, the, a year that I make a million dollars. Um, I would just, you know, through the years that I've been on tour, you just learn so much about yourself. But yeah, for, for sure that first year I was able to kind of get a taste of what success was like on tour. And obviously it's, it's great. Um, but also, you know, becoming one of the top players, you just, you get more pressure and 
you obviously expect more of yourself and, um, you know, finding that right type of balance is, I'm still working on it, still working on trying to balance golf and regular life. That's a fantastic point. I want to touch on that a bit. You talked about balance. You talked about some of the amateur players maybe not transitioning to being great pros. And I think what people don't understand, and I try to tell them all the time, is this. Being a professional golfer is not like playing for one of the big North American sports teams. Things aren't all taken care of for you. You're in charge of booking your flights. You need to learn the courses. So first year out on tours are just extremely difficult you know i mean it, it's it rare is. that someone comes out and and blows things away so let's let's touch on some of that stuff what what are the the kind of hard behind the scenes things that people don't even think about that you have to deal with week to week with travel and et cetera, et cetera? well with travel i mean thankfully i've been i've become pretty good at booking travel um my husband's a caddy on tour um, on the women's tour. So he travels with me. Uh, he doesn't caddy for me though. Um, and I want to at- interrupt you real quick. Cause the boys need to give a shout out to Mr. Pete. So Pete, Aww. the boys, the boys wanted me to say hi to Mr. Pete. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he loves your boys. He is so smitten with them. Um, so with travel, obviously, um, he, well, Pete is very good at booking his own, booking flights and finding the best route, um, getting us there on time. I'm very good at booking um, accommodation. So either finding a hotel, um, I use Airbnb probably 60% of the year. Um, normally we'll get a pretty big house with, you know, something with five, five or more bedrooms and have uh, a bunch of caddies stay there. And it, you know, it really cuts down on costs. So on average, we're spending probably 300 to $350 a person in the house and we're able to cook, we're able to kind of relax and have more of, um, you know, a family like feel on the road rather than staying in a hotel night after night. So um, you know, I've been, I've become very good at that. So thankfully, um, we've got kind of all the bases covered in terms of accommodation and travel. Um, but in terms of, you know, getting to know the course and, and, uh, along those lines, um, as a rookie, I think, you know, being out on tour, you've got all these different, different people you're playing with different people you're meeting, um, you're playing in these pro-ams and you're playing these golf courses that you haven't ever seen before. So in a way, as a rookie, you're doing probably 10 times more work than let's say someone who's been on tour for five years, because, you know, a person that's been on tour for five years might get to a tournament on a Tuesday night or sometimes even a Wednesday because they'll play the pro-am on Wednesday and then start and tee it up on Thursday. But as a rookie, these are all golf courses that you, you want to see at least once, um, or maybe play, I don't know, two 18 hold practice rounds before the tournament gets started. And, um, you might have to get there Sunday night and start your work on Monday or even play nine holes on Sunday before the tournament. So that you can you so that you can spread out your practice rounds, play nine holes Monday, nine holes Tuesday, 
and uh, practice round or a pro am on Wednesday. So, you know, for me, I've, I've played a lot of these courses, obviously, other than the ones that we play for majors, which change every year. But um, I'm very comfortable with getting to these tournaments, you know, a day or two before the tournament starts. And rather than, you know, running around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to figure out what clubhouse is, trying to figure out, you know, how long on average will it take for me to land at this airport and get to baggage claim and get to and get all my crap into the rental car van or the rental car train and how long will that take and how long you know there's a lot there's a lot of planning that goes into goes into some of these some of these events that we go to so you know as a rookie it can be very daunting <laughs> so so um, here's yeah, a, a, here's a few, quick question that – oh, sorry. Here's a quick question that people ask me all the time. And they say, well, what do the pros do if they miss the cut? Like do they book their flights till Sunday? Do they book their houses till Sunday? Uh, I mean, you know, my, my thought process would always be like, of course, you, you're not going to think that you missed the cut. But, but what do you do with, with things like that? Do you, do you rebook flights or you just hang around the, the tournament or hang around the city wherever they're hosting it? Yeah, it just depends. It just depends on um, where we are. So if, like, let's say I'm the cut and the next week I'm going home, then yeah, I'm booking a, I'm changing my flight um, to go home early. But let's say we're on a three week stretch and I miss the cut on the first week, then I'm just going to stick around and do some practice, you know, work on whatever didn't work that week and try to try to improve for the next week but um you know it's it's all very situational um yeah it just depends on where we are but typically typically we'll stick around now do you know what your tournament schedule looks like for next year yet or no is that too early yeah we've got we've got um we've got a schedule out um we're not allowed to release that yet into the press but um, yeah, we've got a pretty good, uh, pretty good look at our schedule next year. So they they let you know beforehand, so you can kind of get stuff set over the winter. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. That's one mm-hmm. one thing mm-hmm. the LPGA is doing right for that. Um, mm-hmm. Listen, here's here's one of the things, and Scott is a big um, proponent of bashing on the tours as far as their media coverage is concerned and obviously with the pga tour we don't need to worry about media coverage we just need to worry about what's being forced down our throats from them but yeah. the, the, the lpga and the corn tour and even to certain lesser extent the other tours that the pga tour owns um china latin america uh and the lpga the symmetra tour there's not a lot of coverage for that um, obviously the LPGA is on golf channel, but sometimes we get weird times. We get an hour or two of coverage here. Here's one thing that bothered me personally. Um, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. where were, where was the volunteers of America classic? Was that, that wasn't, that was in Texas. Texas. Okay. Yeah. So that tournament, you are at one point on Sunday, Two off the lead, I believe. And I'm sitting in front of the TV, and the boys and I are watching, and all I'm trying to do is get my girl on TV so I can send you a little video of, hey, look, there you are. And (laughs) they literally showed the two leaders for about an hour and a half back-to-back. 
And the only thing they showed was everyone else finishing up on 18. Are, are, are the women out there as frustrated as the rest of the golfing fandom is? Or do they not take much interest in that? Well, I mean, me personally, obviously, I don't, I don't know how much or how little I am on TV when I'm playing. Right. But, you know, the weeks that I do play well and I'm kind of at the top of the leaderboard, I do get tons of calls and texts saying, wow, I saw the back of your head while someone else in your group was putting out, and that was it. And, you know, that's just, the PGA Tour has got, you know, endless amount of money to have a billion cameras on the course, um, and not just those cameras that go, you know, in the towers and the back of the hole. So, you know, them having... uh, a very large amount of money to, you know, sponsor these cameras and have on-course cameras that walk the fairway. That's just kind of the difference. And that just kind of shows the difference. The difference is apparent in kind of the, the money that we play for. And that's just, that's just the reality of it. Um, and hopefully, you know, one day we can catch up to the money that the PGA tour guys make. But I mean, Mike Wan has done an unbelievable job to raise a lot of our purses and he has just been a godsend for our tour. He's charismatic and he's doing all the right things to get, to get us on track to playing for more money and to, for sponsors to endorse us even more than they are now. And, um, but yeah, it just all comes down to money. I mean, at the end of the day, everything comes down to money, doesn't it? Mike Wan has done a phenomenal job of upping the purses and allowing the women to play for the most money in the history uh, of the tour, mm-hmm. uh, the most tournaments. And every year they're they're adding tournaments. And, I mean, you remember as well as I do, even six, seven years back, tournaments were up and leaving and couldn't get sponsors anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had, we went down to, I want to say at one point we had 21 or 22 events. Yeah, that sounds about right. I I remember it being almost in the teens as far as tournaments per year. And if you remember, there was points where there was almost a month off in between tournaments. Mm hmm, mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so where we are now is fantastic uh, compared to where we were. But it, it it's still not where, you know, me personally, where I would like to see it because the quality out there is phenomenal. One of the things I tell people is that if you want to pattern your game after anyone, and I know this is such a cliche and everyone says it, but I, I believe I said it first. You need to go <laughs> and watch the women play because the rhythm, their putting ability, the way they hit uh, wedge shots compared to the way you do is is very similar. You know, you're not going to ever produce the uh, spin or the RPMs on a wedge shot that that a male tour pro is going to do as your as your average amateur golfer. But you can That's chip correct. and and you can putt like these girls. Obviously, not as well, but kind of in the same vein. But you watch some of the swings out there and the rhythmic motion. I mean, and it's like, look, you you don't miss many fairways, you know, um, mm-hmm. and your driving distance is, is nothing to laugh at either. I think you averaged, uh, like almost 255 this year. And most guys will say, well, so mm-hmm. do I, but we know that that's BS and they probably average closer to 185. 
Um, <laughs> but you you hit literally like seventy five percent of fairway, seventy five percent of greens and regulation. So it's it, it's like watching Iron Byron out there. It's like you know just a a robotic show of fairways and greens, and that's ideally how myself and and millions of other golfers would love to play golf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time I, I will probably get told that maybe three times every week where a male volunteer or pro-am player will come up to me and say, I enjoy watching you guys because I can relate to what you guys are actually doing. And, and I appreciate that because that, I mean, it's correct. I mean, the guys on the PGA Tour, I mean, they're they're the 1% of the 00.1%, you know? I mean, they're, they're just incredible. And, you know, me as a fan of the PGA Tour, I love watching them. And it's like, it's almost like watching a freak show. Because <laughs> you just can't relate to the things that they do. And it's, it's super entertaining. But, you know, for the masses, though, I would, I would definitely say... If there's an LPGA event near you, definitely come out and you will see so much talent, so much, so much personality. Um, you know, obviously on the golf course, sometimes we can't be, you know, who we are off the golf course in terms of personality. But um, I promise you, you will not have another experience at a sporting event where you can literally stand there and talk to the players from five feet away or sometimes face-to-face because, you know, the ropes get pretty close to the tee boxes, to the greens. Um, and, you know, we don't, we don't get the crazy amount of crowds that the PGA tour gets, um, yet, but hopefully in the future, but, um, because there's not that many not as many people watching, you can get super close to the action, watch us up close possibly learn a thing or two and even, you know, make a friend. So yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Definitely a, uh, a PSA that should be adhered to from Jane Park yeah. to all golf fans yeah. out there. Yeah. But she, yeah, but, sure. but the thing is she's a hundred percent right. I mean, even without having, you know, anything to do with the LPGA Tour and media and whatnot, if you even just go as a fan, you literally will feel like you have that inside-the-ropes access. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's so different than trying to fight drunk guys at uh, a PGA Tour event to try to get a, a, a view of Rory or Brooks or Tiger or Phil or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. Can, you can walk down the fairways with greats of the game that do things that you can only dream of and, like you said, be five feet away from them. Um, right. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, some of my favorite golf events that I've been to have been LPGA events, and not just because, you know, you were playing, but, you know, the overall atmosphere there. Uh, here's, a right. problem. here's a problem I have with the LPGA Tour, all right? Um, the LPGA Tour website, on the literal same exact page – Lists you at five five, and then also at five six. <laughs> so in in today's day and age, Miss Park, of literally being able to track every shot you've ever taken on the LPGA tour, how can we not get how tall you are correct? I'm not really sure. <laughs> 
you know, the website, I mean, it's gone through a, a few updates and, you know, hopefully it's going to get a little better. Um, I don't know. At one point, I think, I think it said that I was, um, like 500 centimeters tall or something. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was, it was a pretty big, it was a pretty big typo, but, um, I think they're, they're working on it. I think it's a work in progress. <laughs> Well, may- maybe that's where I. It must be there that I read that you were from Rancho Cucamongo. Ah, that must have. Uh, that must have been it. Hey, are you uh, are you experiencing the the driver testing on the LPGA tour at all that the guys are getting randomly on the PGA tour? No, we okay. don't. We all don't. Right. Um, I think I read a stat somewhere that if you swing it over 112 miles an hour, then you know, that kind of testing would probably um, come into play. But, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of girls who can swing it that fast. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there might tour. be three or four of them. Uh, I was just curious because, you know, obviously that's something that we've been talking about here a bunch and just the, the BSness um, of it. Right. So, um, right. so I got I to gotta ask you, how are your Lakers going to do this year? Oh my gosh. You know, I haven't really been watching the NBA that much lately. It's weird. Ever since I moved to Atlanta, um, don't tell me you've been watching the Hawks. People don't care about the freaking NBA here. I mean, living in the South, I mean, people live and die by baseball and football. Yeah. And it's a little, I mean, it's a little weird because, you know, me coming from LA, I kind of like, I used to like, to watch the NBA and root for my Lakers, but um, yeah, it, it's hard to even. I mean, I'm sure it's on TV, but it's not really commercialized as much here. So, I've been kind of out of the loop in that. <laughs> have you uh, gotten into any of the local sports teams there, or no? Because my Cardinals did just yeah. defeat the Braves in the NLDS, but obviously they got swept in the National League Championship Series. But that's for another day. <laughs> Um, so Pete is super into the Atlanta United team, um, soccer team. Um, he's gone to a few games with his buddies. I haven't made it down there yet, but maybe I will soon. Um, Atlanta United, he's obviously, he watches the Falcons, but I don't know, according to him, I guess they suck this year. (laughs) (laughs) All I hear is him complaining about it. I mean, he's he is a full-on Atlanta sports fan. I mean, he's he's armchair quarterbacking like crazy. <laughs> but um, yeah, we I guess we support our, our Atlanta teams. I've been to a few Braves games. Um, pretty exciting, but obviously that blowout game where they lost thirteen to one was not great. But <laughs> not great for some of you, but great for some yeah, of us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're not gonna talk about that. <laughs> um, all right, so let's 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 get into some tour stuff real quick, and and these are things that uh, you know I always get asked. What is your? I guess I don't want to call it rapid fire because I'm just shooting off the top of my head of whatever I think about. But uh, what's your favorite course to play on tour? 
My favorite course. So let's get a little more pinpointed. So would you say like a course that we play every year or like a course that I've ever played? No, let's, like let, yeah, uh, nah, nah, let's, I mean, because a course that you ever played, I mean, that's got to be in the hundreds, if not thousands at this point. Let's, let's go to a course that, that you ladies go to every year. Every year. Okay. Um, you know, so Columbia Edgewater in Portland mm. is just magnificent. It is so lush and green every time we go there. Um, you've got these huge red, red, redwood trees on it. Um, the fairways are pretty narrow. Um, and it just it is so picturesque. Um, I would say that would probably be my favorite course. And along with Portland has got some incredible food spots. So, I mean, you really can't lose if you go to Portland, play golf, get some, get some good food, um, a lot of good breweries. Um, yeah, yeah, Portland, Portland takes the cake. Is that course as difficult as it looks on television? You know, if you don't drive it straight, then yeah, you're going to have a pretty crappy time on the course. <laughs> I mean, it, it looks like, um, like they look like bowling alleys. They are hallways. So the, the fairways are very narrow, and obviously having the trees line the fairways makes it look even na- more narrow. So it's really, once you get down to it, it's... It's really not that narrow, but it just it's very intimidating looking. So once you get on the tees, sometimes you're just like, okay, well, let's just focus on that left edge of that of that tree and just focus on that little leaf on the end end of the tree that I see and just rip it. So, yeah. <laughs> so Some you, of the things you got to tell yourself, they're just crazy well yeah i mean but but that's that narrows your focus you know and and then you make yeah, a, a, sure. aggressive swings towards small targets you know instead of and then eliminating right. big misses uh you know what what always interested me and you know i've never had like a top-notch tour male tour pro to ask but you'll always hear stories about tiger right there's someone near and dear to your heart so let's talk tiger on this one you, you hear uh-huh. people like tiger say well I just nipped that wedge uh, a groove low and only carried it 74 yards when I wanted to carry it 75 and have it released. So what I need to do is, you know, hit about half an inch behind so I catch it right on the groove that I want so it lands 75 yards. And I can tell that I'm spinning this ball at 3,200 RPMs, but this other Titleist they gave me can't be from the same batch because it was at 3,000 RPMs. Is that just mm-hmm. pompous BS of them trying to pump themselves up and, and, and all this, like, superfluous that's that's out there and not really believe in it? Or are they that damn good? Like, can you, can you tell me that you know you're going to hit do you, do you know the difference between a 72-yard wedge shot and a 74-yard wedge shot? Absolutely. That's insane to me. That's 100%. insane. That is insane how good you are. Well, I, I wouldn't say how good I am, but how it's almost like you're trying to hone in on this tiny little target, you know? And for me to make a swing to the best of my ability to land it, um, you know, a certain yardage and 
all the while in the back of your head, you're thinking, am I playing in the morning? Is the air heavy? Is the air, you know, a bit thin? Uh, you know, what kind of altitude are we playing? Are the greens softer? Are the greens, is the, is the green going to, is this green going to release in terms of where the pin position is? I look on my green book and I see, okay, well, there is a bit of a, there's like a 1% downgrade in front of the pin. So I could probably land this too shorter than what I initially thought. So th- these are all calculations that go into a golf shot, but um, it, it does sound like a lot to the normal person, but for us, we've been doing it for so long and it's almost like these calculations that just happen automatically. So, for example, like in Texas, a few, like a week ago where, where we just played, we were on the eighth hole and it was kind of a short par four and you just hit three wood off the tee and you kind of hit, um, I don't know, like a gap wedge or a pitching wedge to a green that's kind of shaped like 12 at Augusta. So it's kind of long and it's kind of sideways, if you can imagine what I'm saying. Well, I'm sure you do. You're a golf nerd. Yeah, you're, um, you're hitting to a horizontal green, a green that's set up horizontally. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So it's not very deep. I mean, long is a bit of trouble and short definitely kind of drops off. Um, so we're playing in the Pro-Am and my caddy and I like to discuss, you know, I want to land at this number, and but it's playing this number. So he, he told me, okay, just land at 95 or hit at 95. And I asked him, okay, well, wind's coming a little, a little left to right into, so you think playing at 100. And he said, well, if you want to play at 100, you have to go left of the pin. And you cannot go long because, you know, the green's horizontal. So I asked him, well, if I want to go at the pin, what do I need to hit it? Well, you need to hit it 98. So I said, well, why don't we just go at the pin since it's a, since it's a pro-am? So in essence, I changed, you know, I wasn't going left of the flag. I was going right at it because it's pro-am. Who cares if I miss the green, right? So I took my gap wedge. I took a little bit off of it. I took, I put a little bit of cut spin on it and I landed it exactly 98 yards. And I'm not saying it happens every time, but a lot of these, a lot, most of these professionals, they can do it. They can do it. I, I mean, if you give them 10 balls and say, I want you to land one of these balls 75 yards, then they're probably going to do it three or four times. And the other times they're probably going to be off by three, maybe five yards at most. Like that, I, I, there is nothing, there's a few things, but as just a (laughs) terminology, there's nothing I love more than hearing somebody that is at the top of their sport speak about it in that terms. You know, I mean, like, what I don't care if you're a quarterback or if you're like a curler in the Olympics, like stuff like that just gets my juices flowing. Like that's, that's insane. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's, it's so awesome to be so dialed in at that level to know the difference when every single amateur golfer out there, I see a green and I've only lately gotten to the point where I'm old enough and smart enough now to stay away from sucker pins. So mm-hmm. 
I see a green <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, well, I'll just go to the middle of that green or I'm just trying to hit a green, which is probably like most people. I guess most golfers are like, I just want to get the ball up in the air. But semi-decent amateurs are saying, well, I want to, you know, hit the green. And I've only gotten to the point now where I'm like, well, you know what? I want to hit that side of the green or this is the type of ball flight I want going in. But to hear you talk about even something as benign as a pro-am hole and the calculations that Mm -hmm. goes into that is just awesome. And you mentioned that these calculations seemingly happen very quickly, right? Absolutely, very quickly. So, I mean, I've been doing it for so long, but also, you know, being able to make these calculations is one thing, but then pulling it off is another thing. So if you're standing, so me personally, if I were to walk through a golf shop for you, let's say I normally in like, let's say 200 altitude, I'll hit my nine iron. If I flush it, I'll probably hit it. 126 yards in the air and depending on how I hit it it's either going to spin back a little tiny bit or release probably five or six yards so let's say I face a shot it's a hundred and 130 yards 32 yards to the hole and I feel like I could get my nine iron there but I'm not really quite sure that I'm going to get it there because I'll have to flush it to get it to that 132 number. Well, I'll kind of gauge, okay, so I've been hitting it pretty decent. Um, I would say I've got more of a cut bias right now with my swing and my ball flight. So in my head, I'll do the calculations and think, okay, well, it's in the morning or whatever time it is. I'll kind of take all these things into account and I'll come to, okay, I'm going to take this eight iron. I'm going to choke down on a little and put a little cut spin on it so that it can land 127 and release five yards. And I, I, I kid you not, this is exactly how almost all the girls out here work. I mean, the, the landing number, the, the number you want to pitch it is, is basically how, all these professionals work. It's awesome. It's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like a lot, but it's really, it's really not that hard because we've been doing it for so long and obviously caddies do it. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just about knowing the, the capability, the capability of your game and knowing what your ball does and how your ball reacts to certain swings and certain conditions. And yeah, it's super geeky, but why, why is it? But that's how it works. Why? Why does it take Bryson three minutes to hit a chip shot? Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going into like stuff that I don't even know. So. Yeah, none, none, none of us do. He's got to uh, determine if his theta waves are operating at, at an optimal level. <laughs> yeah, my brain would explode if I got into that. That's my boy. That's my boy right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um so listen, so what is what is the uh what's the future hold for Jane because you you've been at what? 12 years out there? Yeah, so next year will be my 13th year. Lucky 13. Tour. Yeah, 13. Um I'm not really sure. I mean, I've been I've been thankfully for the last 5 or 6 years I've been free of any major injuries. Um you know, I've had 
probably two years where I played kind of injured and didn't play very well. And then I had to take um, a lot of the year off with a back injury and a wrist injury. Um, but I guess, you know, as long as I can kind of stay healthy and stay in the right mindset, um, I'd like to, I'd like to play, um, a little while longer, maybe get into the TV side of it eventually. Um, but I, I guess as long as my body is able to, um, you know, when it comes down to it, even through the tough times, it's, there's really no better job out there. Um, so yeah, and I guess I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. It's all you can do, right? Show up every day to work, yeah. see what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so listen, let 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 people know where they can find you on social media because you are pretty active on social media, and 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 honestly, more active as of late with interactions with fans and and stuff like that. So how can they follow you? Um. So on Twitter. Um, my handle is at the Jane park and it's the same on Instagram, I believe. Um, but you know, I've got a lot more, I've got some time off now since I'm not playing for the rest of the year. Um, so if you want to get to know me, I mean, send me a message, whatever. I'm pretty, I'm pretty nice. Most of the time I would say, <laughs> um, unless you're one of my friends, cause then I'll kind of. I'll kind of rag on you a little bit, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just hit me up if you want to, if you want to chat about golf or need some tips or, um, I'm kind of getting together a few questions that, um, you know, the general public wants to ask professionals and, you know, I've, I've got a lot of friends on tour, um, and I can definitely get those questions to them and, uh, and make a little fun, little fun, little instructional video out of it. So, if you have any questions, um, send them my way. Either Twitter, Instagram, whatever, whatever floats your boat. And make sure it's at the Jane Park. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anything else is an imposter out there. <laughs> yeah, didn't you get a message from <laughs> from me asking you for money, and I was in like. I was stuck in Kenya or something. Yeah. I was, hey, hey, I would have helped you out. <laughs> I know. I know you would have, which is why I'm thankful you messaged me to ask me, hey, are you really stuck in Cambodia? <laughs> <laughs> because I know the LPJ tour travels to some far off places. So, you know, if you need me to Western Union that money, I got you. <laughs> I should have said yes. Here's my banking info. <laughs> Say, Jane, why does this say Atlanta on it? <laughs> oh man, I should have given that a try. Darn it, I missed. I missed my opportunity. <laughs> hey, real quick, you mentioned um, you know getting questions out to the other ladies on tour. Who are your closest friends out there? Uh, I, I mean, I know, but at, let the people know who they are because. One of the things, if you start following Jane on Instagram or on Twitter, you're, you're going to see more of her. It is thundering outside. Like, I mean, that's going to have to come through on the sound. I know that. So apologies. Not an earthquake, people. It's just thunder. Um, you'll start to see that, that Jane has a, an extremely humorous personality. And, you know, honestly, it's just like for the voyeuristic factor, it's cool to see what goes on behind the scenes 
uh, in a tour pro's life. So who are the people that you get along with best out on tour? Um, well, okay, so I'm going to say my my best friend, like who I pretty much play all, most of my practice rounds with, is Tiffany Joe, who in herself, like in her own right, is I think the funniest person on tour. I mean, she she's told media outlets that she thinks I'm the funniest person on tour, but I mean, I don't think it's a contest. She's definitely way more creative, funny, and smart, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, she, so she's one of my best friends. Um, I mean, Maureen Alex is a great friend. Um, and to be, to be honest, I, I get along with pre- pretty much everyone. I mean, I, I don't mind playing practice rounds with anyone. Um, I kind of try to get to know the rookies the best I can. Um, anytime we start the big, uh, beginning of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say I'm, I'm pretty approachable, um, from a player standpoint and from a fan standpoint. Um, I do know a few weeks ago I was requested, um, in a pro-am, um, and unfortunately I didn't get to play with them because I guess the pro-am times are already out, but, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm pretty approachable and bubbly most of the time, unless I haven't eaten, um, do not catch me when I'm hangry. It's just a bad time for everyone. Um, but that's why I always have snacks handy. So, uh, so that doesn't really happen too often, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, like you said earlier, if you're at an LPGA tournament, please come say hi. And 99.9% of the time, I'll be pretty nice. <laughs> and just don't yell stupid things in her backswing. No, you can do that. I'm pretty much zoned in during the golf swing. I mean, I'll have times where the caddy's like, did you hear that in the middle of your backswing? I said, no, I didn't hear anything. So, so yeah, it takes a lot, a lot to rattle me, so. Very cool. Well, look, um, you know I more than appreciate this, and I know the people out there are going to love hearing it. So can't thank you enough. Oh, no problem. No problem. It's my pleasure. All right, people. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying.